Amen. I hope you're not tired of saying the Lord's Prayer. I hope that you say that out loud. I can hear you kind of, you know, uh, but let's say that together every week. It's on the screens if you need it. That's okay to look during the prayer. I promise that, that well, it's not going to be a problem. And if you're at home watching this today, I invite you just to join us in that special prayer that helps shape us. Prayer doesn't change God, but it changes us. And it's important, I think, to pray together as a praying church. Well, I am excited about the Advent season. I love the decorations. I love the traditions. I love the music, all of it. I'm the big sucker for Christmas and for the Advent season. And I love preaching during this time of year too. But I don't think I've ever preached from Luke 2 during Advent, which is like the quintessential Advent text. It's the, the story that my family used to read as we used to decorate the Christmas tree when I was a kid and my mom would play hymns on the piano or we listened to Christmas music. Usually it was Sandy Patty or, or Steve Green Christmas album and uh, we would read Luke 2. We took turns, my sister and I, reading the Christmas story from Luke 2, 1 to 14. This morning, I'm finally going to preach on Luke 2, 1 to 14, during Advent. I don't know if you remember, my first year, I thought it was a great idea in 2017 to preach through the whole Bible. Not that that was ambitious at all, uh, but that we'd start in Genesis, and we would read the Bible together as a church, and I would preach starting in Genesis in January, and we'd just keep going from there, and we'd alternate Old Testament and New Testament each month, but I didn't think about the fact that we'd be in Revelation when in December. So I preached through Revelation, and we focused on the second advent of Christ, and you guys were gracious, and you went with me, and it was, it, I thought it was kind of neat. And then we started another ambitious series in the Gospel of John, and so for 2018, we started in John 1 for the whole month of Advent. We were in John 1, and then we just took it from there and continued on. And then last year, I really wanted us to focus on this idea of waiting. I'm not a very patient person by nature. And so we, we looked at these four passages that had to do with waiting and anticipation. But uh, finally today, we're going to do it. Luke 2, 1 to 14, beautiful story. You've all heard it before. You're familiar with these passages if you've grown up in church at all. But I want you to hear this story with fresh ears today. I want you to ask God to give you ears to hear the gospel message of Advent in a fresh and compelling way today. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word? We haven't done that in a while, but if you're able to, I'd invite you to stand as we read our text for this morning together. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them 
in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, it's hard to believe in some ways that the Advent season is already upon us. Uh, it seems like this year in, in, in some ways has flown by. And as Evan mentioned last week, in many ways, it's the longest year ever. It's been the longest year of my life, I think. When we look around at our community, when we look at our nation, when we look at our world even, maybe the number one characteristic that comes to mind when, when you want to describe what's happening in our culture, what's happening in people's hearts around the world, is exhausted. People are exhausted, aren't they? I think people are weary. They're worn down by a pandemic that continues to wreak havoc and to bring death and cause suffering and isolation and loneliness. Uh, we had to miss family Thanksgiving. I know a lot of you did this year, the first time in Morgan's life that she didn't spend Thanksgiving with her uh, parents and her brother and sister. We're tired of that. We're also sick of those deep divisions in our culture that are, are so prominent these days that have been exposed and exacerbated and exaggerated by the virus, perhaps. These divisions that play out on, on TV and on the news and on social media, of course, with the kind of vitriol that has become commonplace now, which didn't used to be that way. We're tired of, of being lonely and, and being cut off from family and friends and not being able to travel and canceling plans. Ashley Leach told me last week, we were talking about Malta, he canceled a trip to Malta. He was supposed to go to the island where Paul was shipwrecked. He was supposed to go there and he had to cancel it. We're sick and tired of, of mental health. I have friends who have been suffering from depression and anxiety and addiction. Talk to Eddie and our Celebrate Recovery folks about the rise in uh, addiction and opioids and alcohol and all the, the things that people are turning to in this season. It's not difficult to see. People are exhausted. They're just sick of it. They're worn out. And, you know, I was thinking about what our Advent theme should be this year, and I realized we could all use a great, big, heaping dose of good news. Something that will inspire us and lift our hearts. Something that's true. Something that matters. Something that is actually really good news. Man, I love to get good news. I love it. I love watching good news, like, you know, when those soldiers come home and they surprise their kid. I love those videos. 
I love the, you know, every time that uh, I've seen a soldier come home and even a dog runs to them, you know, and the dog's all happy. And uh, this summer we decided to do, you know, what everyone does during quarantine and and we got a puppy. We got a puppy for our family. And when we told them, our kids, that we were going to get a dog, this was back in June, uh, I set up my phone and and recorded it. And uh, this is what happened here. Take a look. that for so long. Leslie and others said, don't, you know, don't tell them too early because that's all they'll talk about, but you want to involve them in the process. So that was the day that we took them to go see the puppies for the first time. And it's so fun to tell good news to your kids, isn't it? It's so fun to tell good news to someone. We have, I think, at least four couples now that are expecting a child. I know Dave's expecting another grandbaby too. That's such great news when we get to hear that. When Braden and Emmy were going up and down the halls a couple of weeks ago telling folks that that they're expecting. It's just so fun to share good news. It's fun to receive good news. And here's the thing. We really need good news right now. We need good news in this time and place because our world is broken and it's obvious. We need good news. We are ready for some really good news. And wouldn't it be great if that news was actually true? Wouldn't it be great if that news actually brought about change? Wouldn't it be great if that news really mattered at a foundational, life-changing level? We have just that kind of news. As Christians, we know that there's more than just the physical realities of this world around us. We don't live here. We don't exist in this world in the same way that non-believers do because we have something different. We don't wearily just trudge through this fallen world trying to do the best we can to make ourselves comfortable or to accumulate more or to make ourselves happy. We have another story of what's really going on. This world is not our home. We were made for something else. Our faith gives us resources for living through just such a time as this that actually enable us to to live with hope and peace and joy and love. We have resources that no amount of money, no amount of political power, no amount of friends, no amount of social status, no vaccine could ever give us. We have news, good news, in a world that's filled with bad news. We have news that tells us that this is all going somewhere. 
that God doesn't waste the pain in this world. We have news that tells us it doesn't have to be this way. There's another better way, one that leads to flourishing. We have news that something more true and, and more real than what we can see and perceive with our five senses, something better is going on behind the veil of this world. We call this good news the gospel. We call it the gospel. The word gospel comes from an English, old English word, God spell, and, and God doesn't mean God, it actually means good in old English, and spell is news, like people say sit a spell or something, it's, it's kind of from the old English, God spell, which means good news. And that is the way the old English Bible translators translated the Greek word euangelion. If you're into etymology like me, then this will be fascinating. If you're not, this is nerdy and you won't enjoy it. But uh, euangelion is the Greek word for good news. Eu means good, right? Like a euphonium is a good sound, right? Euphoria is a good feeling. A eulogy is a good word about somebody, right? So euangelion, what does angel sound like? Angel, right? Angel, angels were messengers. They were heralds. They, they proclaimed tidings. They brought news. So angel means message. So literally, euangelion means a good message, good tidings, good news. And the, the way that was translated into Old English, again, was God's spell. And what was cool was that the Middle English translators, like William Tyndale and some of those awesome guys, they thought that was a pretty cool word, and they kept it. And then when you get to you know, King James Version in 1611, they really liked that version, too, uh, of God's spell. So they, they kept the word gospel in the King James Version, so now it's just part of our, our language. 98 times in the King James New Testament, the word gospel is used to translate that Greek word euangelion. The word gospel is really a helpful way for us to talk about what is at the core of the Christian faith. The word gospel is kind of a way to summarize what is Christianity all about. What is the central message and theme of the Christian faith? Well, that's what the gospel is. We saw already in our text for today that the angels were heralds, the hark the herald angels who brought a message. They brought good news. And what they brought was the core of the Christian faith. At its base level, Christianity is about the, the good news that God did not abandon this fallen world, but that he invaded it. He came to rescue it. He didn't leave us to our own devices. He didn't leave the world to be overcome by darkness and sin and death and decay. But out of his great love and out of his perfect wisdom, he forged a rescue plan. He created and enacted a rescue plan to bring it all back. That's good news. That's really good news. It's the best news that God is making all things new once again. This is the message of Advent. It's good news. It's news about abiding hope and peace and joy and love that come through the advent of Jesus Christ. 
You know, the message of Advent is that God sent his own son. He physically invaded the darkness of this world in order to dwell among us physically. The God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, to speak words of life from his own human lips, to speak divine words from his humanity, to heal the blind, to heal the sick and the lame with just a touch of his, the hem of his garment to teach us a better way to exist. He stood up at the Sermon on the Mount and said, it doesn't have to be this way. There's a better way. And when the time had come, he came to die on a cross to pay the price that you and I could never have paid, to atone for our sins, to make us at one with himself. That's what atone means. To, to take the punishment of sin and death upon his own shoulders, the sins of the world. But he wasn't done. After three days, his lungs filled with air again, and his heart began to beat again, and he walked out of the grave, conquering sin and death forever. Because of these things, we're able to have life, abundant, true life, both now and forever. That's good news. Not only that, but the most dramatic event of the entire gospel story still hasn't even happened yet. That's when Jesus comes back at the second advent and says, okay, enough. <laughs> no more, no more war, no more poverty, no more injustice, no more broken households, no more broken communities. I'm here to fix it all and make everything new and wipe away every tear. So now we live in this kind of strange time. There's a tension, isn't there? It's a time that the theologians call the now, but not yet. We live in the now. Everything has changed since Jesus showed up at Advent and since he lived among us and since he died and rose again. Everything's different. We have enacted this new era, but we still have pandemics. We still have cancer. We still have poverty and injustice. We still have broken families. We still have all these host of issues that we're dealing with, sicknesses emotionally, mentally, physically, and even spiritually that we're wrestling with in this world. We live in this now but not yet time. Therefore, it's imperative that we hold fast to the core of our faith and hear anew the gospel message this morning, the reality-altering news of a good message in a fresh way. The message that God is good, that he has a plan, and that he's going to get it done. This is the message that was first proclaimed to a group of poor shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night outside of Bethlehem. Why shepherds? Shepherds were these, you know, dirty, uncouth People, I didn't know this, but they were known as thieves. They were known to kind of pilfer from the villages that they would be around. They were thought of as, as you know, having, uh, you know, five-finger discounts on everything that they could get their grubby hands on. You know, in society of, of Palestine at this time, the, the bottom of the barrel were lepers, right? They were the absolute worst. And just above lepers were shepherds. They were considered outcasts. They were uneducated, unwashed and unwelcome in society of this time. 
Why were they the first people ever to hear the good news of Advent of Christ? Look at verse 8 again. Verse 8 says that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Why did, why did God choose these shepherds? Because they're humble. Humility is at the core of this story. The humble shepherds are out there in the middle of the night just like they'd done a thousand times before when all of a sudden the night sky becomes daylight. It becomes brighter than daylight. The glory of God overcomes the physical reality of nighttime and drives the darkness completely from the sky. Why did God choose this again? Well, good news isn't good unless people know they need it. Good news isn't good news for people who don't think they need it. For people who've done well in life and have achieved social status and worldly gain and some measure of physical comfort in this world, they often have a hard time receiving the gospel for the good news that it actually is. The shepherds remind us of that reality. We would do well to remember our own desperate situation that we are in the same sinking boat of sin and helpless and hopeless apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ as anyone else. The gospel is the great leveler. You know, we may all be a little too comfortable to hear the gospel in the way that it was meant to be received as really, really good news. If I say the gospel's good news and you kind of roll your eyes like, yeah, I've heard that before, then, then you may be too comfortable. You may not understand your own desperate need and what the gospel really means. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul was driving this point home. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, Tim Keller says the gospel is this, that, that God is greater than we could ever imagine and that we are more broken and flawed and desperate than we could ever imagine. That we are more hopeless and more desperately flawed than we ever could have dreamed, but at the same time, God's greatness and his love and his mercy and his grace is so loving that he loves us more than we ever dared to hope or dream. That's the gospel. We need to remember that. So what did the angels say to the frightened shepherds? What was the message, the good news that they proclaimed? Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That's the word euangelion. I, I gospel to you. It's a verb form. Euangelizomai is what it is in Greek. It's one word. I bring you good news. I gospel is what that means. Good news of great joy. Remember in verse 9, it said that they had great fear. Luke's making a point. They move from great fear. The angel says, no, 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 no. No great fear, great joy. Stop being so scared and receive this is great joy that will be 
for all the people. The gospel, again, in, in Jesus Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ. All are welcome. All are made in God's image. This is an important message that the gospel is for all people. Verse 10 is the message, the first part that the angels say, and it's good news. The, the, the verbal form, euangelizomai, is good news. So the angels see the shepherds full of, of great fear, and they proceed to preach to them, to proclaim to them a gospel instead. And again, if, if this is for all the people, some of you out there, I keep talking to folks who say, God could never forgive me for what I've done. Like, you're a preacher, Nathan. You have a doctorate. You know, you're, you seem to have it all together. I don't. I'm, I'm completely desperate and in as much in need as anybody. But people always say, I, I, I have a past. You don't understand. I've done things. If the gospel is for all people, then whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, whatever circumstances you come from, the gospel is good news for you right now. He can deliver you. He's wanting to save you. He's able to help you. Trust in that. So again, what, what else are the details of the gospel? Look at verse 11 for some more information. For unto you is born this day in Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the one who is to come, the Lord, the Master over all. This is an incredibly rich sentence here. He doesn't give the shepherds a name, but he tells them that a savior has arrived, a rescuer, and not just any savior, not somebody on a big white horse with a sword, but the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah who was promised from ages ago, who is, whether people know it or not, Lord and master over all. All creation was made through him and for him. This is the one. He's the one they've all been waiting for. He's the one who's going to usher in a whole new kingdom, set up a whole new era of history. And he did, didn't I mean, even human history is divided into B.C. and A.D. This is the most significant historical event of all time. How would the shepherds know this is true? God, in his grace, gave them a sign. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You know, when I expect God to give a sign about the greatest event in history, I expect fireworks. I expect thousands of people in, you know, a band. I expect a, a big parade and some kind of military conquest. God says, no, the sign is a baby in a feeding trough, in a barn, wrapped in some cloths. That's the sign. What a, what, what a humble, again, humble, subversive message that God is, is sending. This is consistent with what God has been doing, turning everything on its head. The way the world works, God says, my way's better. It's different. Trust me. This is what the Lord's been doing all since human history, even before human history. This is a sign that is pointing to the fact that God is doing a new thing. And it's different than what we would expect or imagine. And he's doing this thing in order to call his children back into himself. So after these words from the angel, 
you know, words of comfort, words of good news, words of great joy. The, the heavens can't be contained. Look at verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, the, the multitude doesn't mean that there were 50 angels. It doesn't mean there were 150 angels. It doesn't mean that there were 1,500 angels. It means the entire entourage of heaven, God's royal host, comes out to worship. You know, billions of angels swirling around the heavens, all joining in this cosmic stereo in what's become the greatest concert ever performed. Glory to God in the highest. It's praise that starts upward. Glory to God who's done this incredible thing. And then it moves outward and in peace on earth with those on whom his great grace has been shown and fallen. You know, I, I love this idea that this is the greatest concert ever, but it's not actually. This happened before. At the creation of the world, we're told in Job chapter 38, verse 7, the morning stars, we just sang in one of the hymns, said the morning stars, that's angels that praised. They all sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, here's the, the, the second time this happens. At the greatest creation of all time, the creation of the God-man, the creation of the Messiah, God's own son put on flesh. And at that creation, the heavens burst. And the angel's song here is instructive for us. The angel's song is an invitation for us to join in the song that they sing. <clears throat> God's brought about the birth of his son on earth, and that act has brought us peace with God, with each other, and even with ourselves. The Advent message of this passage should make us sing year-round, even in the midst of a pandemic. You know, the worship, again, that we glorify God upward and then outward as well, that on earth, peace has come. Peace and wholeness and, and well-being, atonement, oneness for those on whom his favor has fallen. You know, it's for those who've been favored by God's amazing grace, which is those of us who are here today, those of us who've been called according to his purpose. It's a gospel proclamation. Peace on earth fits in with what God's been doing ever since the fall of creation in Genesis 3. He's bringing shalom, which is more than peace, right? It's peace and prosperity. It's flourishing and thriving. It's peace with justice. It's universal healing and hope for the nations. That's the message that we see in the Old Testament. The reign and rule of God would come to earth as it is in heaven. We see that in places like Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, gospel. This was written 600 years at least before Christ. The one who publishes peace. That's the word shalom. That's the flourishing. It's more than just peace. <clears throat> the one who brings good news, gospel of happiness, who publishes salvation, that's the word Yeshua, like Jesus, 
who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's a good thing. When God's reigning, that means injustice is gone. That means that war and poverty are gone. That means that peace and flourishing have come. So what do we do with this today? What do we do with this passage today? Is this our reality of this world? Is what we see in the news our ultimate reality? Or do we see beyond the veil? Do we know of a better story? Do we really believe that better story in our heart of hearts? Is something else going on? Remember what Scotty Smith says about gospel sanity? We live in an insane world. We live in a crazy world. We need to be restored to gospel sanity. To look around at the craziness of this world and say, no, 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 that's not, that's not the way it has to be. That's not the way it should be. And that's not the way it's going to be. It's gonna be fixed. We know where this is headed because of the gospel message. That's the message that was proclaimed to the shepherds, that there's been a great thing that has happened. And it's the message that we need to hear afresh this morning. If we hear it and know it, then it means that we are restored to the understanding and the sanity of knowing that God is still in control, that he's still working out his good purposes for you and for me and for this world all around us. He's bringing everything to a beautiful conclusion. Let's hear that message today with open ears and open hearts as we live out the gospel into a world that desperately needs it. If you feel a little crazy today and like things are falling apart, I implore you, hear the gospel and be restored to gospel sanity as we go from here today. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we can't thank you enough for sending your only son here so that whoever may call on you, whoever would put their faith and trust in your ability to save would be considered righteous, would not perish from our sins, but have everlasting, abundant life, both now and forever. God, we look around and our world seems so hopeless or it seems like we're putting our hope in the wrong things like a vaccine or in a political party or in, in some other human endeavor. God, we know that ultimately all those things will let us down, even our spouses, even our parents, our children. God, ultimately, you are faithful, you are sovereign, and you are good. And you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Because the gospel tells us that you have a plan, that you've always been in charge, that you've been working out your good purposes for this broken world since the beginning of time. And yet we often fall into the pattern of this world. We, we forget the gospel. We start to, to get crazed by this world and we're driven to insanity and we forget the gospel. Remind us, oh God, remind our souls this morning of the good things that you are doing because you sent your only son and you're sending him again. Help us to live in this tension of the now but not yet with wisdom, with integrity, with character that enables us to partner with you, God, in bringing about your good purposes.
We thank you for the Advent season, for the good news that you've given us. May we take that news into a world that desperately needs to hear it. We pray this all in the powerful, high, and holy name of our Lord, whom you sent to rescue us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. If you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord for the first time, if you've never acknowledged in your heart of hearts that he is Lord and Master, maybe when you were a kid you gave your heart to him, but maybe he's never really been Lord of your life. Maybe you need to surrender some part of your life to him today. Whatever it is that you need to do during this time, we're going to sing a hymn of response. I invite you to not leave this place until you've allowed the gospel to really confront your own soul to really deal honestly with the Lord. Is the gospel the foundation of your life or is it something else? What are you betting your life on? You're all betting your lives on something, I am. And I'm trying to bet more and more on the gospel of Jesus. If you need to join Woodmont Baptist Church, I'll be down here to receive you. If you wanna come talk to me about what it means to be a member, I welcome Beverly, our newest member here this morning when I walked in today. Uh, It's just great to see Woodmont continuing to be the church. And if you wanna be a part of that, Uh, Come talk to me now, or uh, I'll be out at the north entrance after the service. Whatever it is that you need to do in your heart of hearts, let's do that now as we sing our hymn of response.